Morning, friends. So I want to tell you a little story. As, as, as a kid, my, my favorite sport was basketball. I was obsessed with basketball. I played it every day. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be like Mike. But God made me five foot eight and a half. So unfortunately, that did not work out for me. But I'll never forget my elementary school rival, Tommy Yu. Tommy. We were rivals. And Tommy was a great basketball player. He was tall. He's very athletic. He could shoot. He could dribble as a tall guy, which is saying something. He could dribble really well. He could pass, rebound. He could do everything. And we, we were always in competition you know, who could score more points, who could win a round of lightning, who could take the ball off the floor. We were always in competition until finally we got to middle school and we got to team up, which we thought was pretty exciting. Finally, me and Tommy on the same team. We're going to do awesome. Unfortunately, our partnership did not work out great. Both of us wanted to score. Both of us wanted to bring the ball up the floor. Both of us just wanted to be the star player. And it didn't work out. And that, I think my, my seventh grade year, we were 2-12. and 12. And as a seventh grader, that was, that was devastating. As, as a young teen, that was devastating. We were 2-12. and 12. It wasn't until my, the summer after my seventh grade year, we joined an AAU team, which is a club team for basketball. We had a coach who finally helped us figure things out. And I, and I realized that I was trying to be like Mike. I was trying to be a shooting guard. I was trying to shoot the ball. My coach said, actually, I really think you'd be better suited to be our point guard. You need to bring the ball up the floor and, wow, pass to your teammates. What a, what a thought. <laughs> Try that. See if that works. And Tommy, you're really tall. We need you to play in the post. Grab every rebound you can. And so we switched up how we were playing. And guess what? We started winning games. Teams that used to dominate us, we started beating. It was unbelievable. It was awesome. The coach had to see how we were gifted, how to put us in the right role for us to succeed. And I contend to you that we need the same thing in the Christian life, that we need the help of God and others to discern what role, what calling God has in our lives. Calling, identity, is who you are in Christ. The unchangeable truths of who you are, someone who's made in the image of God. But your calling, your calling is what you do with your life in response to God's leading and, God, and the role that God has for you to play in this world and in his kingdom. So if you don't know who you are, if you don't know your calling, you will fall into many deadly traps. If you don't know your calling, you will compare yourself to others, and comparison is the thief of joy. If you don't know your calling, you will be frustrated. You won't make the contribution to the kingdom of God that he designed you to make, and the church will suffer because of it. If you don't know your calling, you will destructively try to make something of yourself. And when that inevitably fails, you will be distraught and lost. And I cannot think of a better person in the Bible to teach us a healthy sense of calling than John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He knew exactly the calling God had placed on his life, and he knew what, what he had to do and what he should not do. Now, John 
had quite the following. He was leading a revival movement. People were coming to him from all over Israel to be baptized. He preached a powerful message of repentance. And the Jewish leaders, they took notice. And they even sent priests and Levites. And they wanted to find out, who is this man? Who are you? And a couple chapters ago, he said, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And this man, John the Baptist, he was extremely well-known. He even baptized Jesus Christ himself, who was also becoming a popular religious leader. Now, a lesser man would let all of that fame, all of that popularity go to his head. And as Jesus and his movement started gaining more popularity and more of a following, some of John's disciples started getting concerned. And if you'd like to follow along in the story, you can turn in your Bibles to John 3. And in John 3, verse 26, it says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testify, testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. In other words, John, he's stealing your move. You're John the Baptist, and he's baptizing. And not only that, everybody's going to him. Everybody's going to him. People are leaving you to follow Jesus. Are you jealous? What are you going to do about this? We learn that John is not at all shaken by the success of Jesus' ministry. We have to ask ourselves, does it ever concern you when others are more successful or more popular than you? Does it concern you when others have a job, a calling, a station in life that you desire and you don't have? Friends, I contend to you this morning that you need confidence in your calling. You need confidence in your calling so that you don't compare, but you live content. You need confidence in your calling so you don't compare, but you are and you live content in Christ. And John essentially says four things, four things that I think enabled him, and it will enable all of us to have a healthier sense of calling. And the first thing that John really essentially says is this. First, I receive my calling as a gift from God. I receive my calling as a gift from God. The first thing John the Baptist says in verse 27, he says a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. John is really saying, I've received my calling from God, and Jesus has received his. We ourselves did not determine our roles, our callings, our giftings, and our ministries. These were given from heaven, given from God. And this is really helpful for several reasons. And I want you to hear me on this. We don't self-determine our calling. We discern our calling. We don't self-determine our calling, we discern our calling. This is a big difference. And again, I've, I've said this before, the world tells us, the culture tells us that we get to and we should make up our own story, that you have no story. You should make your own, make your own identity, make your own calling. In other words, we self-determine who we ought to be. But in the Christian life and story, we are not self-determined people. We did not make ourselves. We belong body and soul to God. And we are led by the King and by the Holy Spirit. And He has determined. 
He has gifted us. He has called us into a role to play in his, so- in his story. And so it's our job to discern what he is calling us to do. Our job is not to determine, but to discern what our Lord would have us do. I was determined to be Michael Jordan. See how that went? <laughs> hey, that was a little too strong with amen. I don't know. <laughs> my coach had to help me discern my true gifting, my true role. I had to discern not to determine. And God, by his spirit, he gifts us to, with spiritual gifts to serve his kingdom. In Ephesians 4, it says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So you have a calling. You have a calling within the body of Christ that God gives. In addition to that, God places us in communities, in jobs, in homes, and gives us all kinds of different kingdom opportunities with our lives. He gifts us with different stations in life, different callings, and we are to receive these as gifts with gratitude. And you might wonder, how do I discern my calling? How do I know what God's calling me to do? Well, that would take a whole another sermon or sermon series. But I'll simply say this, it's usually through others. It's usually through other people in the church. Just as my coach had to redirect, redirect me, so often we need a friend, a mentor, a pastor, a, a wise woman or man in the church to help you see how God is gifting you and how he is calling you. So friends, remember as a body, we have to help each other. We have to say, I see you being gifted in this way. I could see you really thriving in this role. I could see you really thriving in this ministry or job or opportunity. So if you see God gifting people, make sure you speak up because we need that. Another reason why this this point is so, so important because receiving our calling helps us be content rather than compare. Receiving our calling helps us be content. John the Baptist knew that God called him to be the forerunner of Jesus, the voice crying out in the wilderness, the one preparing the way for Jesus. If he did not know his calling, he easily could have been jealous of Jesus as people left him to go follow Jesus. And so often we can get caught in the trap of comparing ourselves, looking around at how other people are doing and wondering why we're not more like them or why we don't have what they have. And John the Baptist says, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. We only concern ourselves with what God gives to us. And John will write about this later in John 21. This is the story when, uh, after Peter has denied Jesus, he's restoring Peter to ministry. And he essentially says to Peter that you're going to die for me. And Peter turns and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And when Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, well, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, Peter was curious about God's calling for John. And sometimes we worry ourselves, we compare ourselves with what what God has called others to do. And Jesus might say to us, what is that to you? Why are you worrying about something that is not your concern? You must follow me. Your concern, your only concern is to discern and do the will of your Lord, period. We discern it, 
and we do it. And if we concern ourselves with that, we should also be content with that and invest where God has placed us. And friends, let me tell you, the grass is not greener in some other calling, some other station in life, some other hypothetical scenario where you, are, where you aren't right now. The light that you now have, the person that you now are, the talents you have, the gifts you have, where God has placed you, where God has let you, led you and brought you, the jobs and homes he has given you, your Christian community, all of these things, despite their imperfections, these are his gifts to you. These are his good gifts. Receive what you've been given. Receive them and invest in them with gratitude. Yes, sure, someday he may lead you to some other station or calling, but don't despise your calling or your station in life right now because you think the grass will be greener somewhere else, someplace else, some calling else. God has you where he has you right now, and you can only live one day at a time. Isn't that true? You can only live in the calling you're in right now. So let's receive it with gratitude. So receive where he has you. Assignment. Right now, you're in your current assignment. Until he says or leads clearly otherwise. Um, and some of you might wonder, well, well, how do I know? How do I know if my calling or if my assignment is changing? How do I know if God is leading? And some of you, you, you college students, you high school students, you really have to face this because you're coming upon a transition in life where you have to wonder, well, where is God calling me? What does God want me to do in the next stage? And, let, and many of us face that at different stages in life. And let me just say one thing to encourage you and one piece of pastoral advice. So let me start with the encouragement. And I've heard a pastor say this, God wants to get you where he wants you to go even more than you do. Way more than you do. So if you seek him first, if you put him first, you don't have to worry at all because God will lead you. He will direct you. He will open the door. He will make it clear. Now, the pastoral advice. Do not discern your calling and do not discern a change in your calling or station in life apart from the guidance of the church apart from the guidance of godly people. Of course, we rely on the word of God, we rely on the Holy Spirit, but we need the wisdom of, of the body, of mentors and friends. Just like I needed my coach to help me discern how I was truly gifted, what role I needed to play, so we too need the help of others. And it amazes me, and not in a good way, how individualistic so many Christians of this generation are. It astonishes me because, because I'm a pastor, often people tell me big news they've decided upon. You know, people tell me, hey, I got, I got a new job, I'm moving, I'm in a relationship, I'm ending a relationship, I'm joining a new place of worship, I'm getting married, I'm starting a new big project, etc., etc. And if you ask these people, well, did you tell anybody about, did, did you talk to anybody about this decision before you made the decision? And most often it's no. And if they did, well, yeah, well, my friends don't think it's a good decision and my church doesn't think it's a good decision, but we made it anyway. And it's like, it's, 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 too, it's too late. In many of these situations, too, it, it grieves me because people on the outside see way more clearly than the people making the decision. People on the outside can see clearly. 
this is not a good decision for you. You can probably think about people in your own life. It's like, gosh, if you just would have consulted somebody before you made this decision, you could have been spared. And if you would have listened to the godly advice, you might have been spared some heartache and trouble. But it's too late. They've already made up their mind. They've already made the decision. They determined their course of action without consulting or discerning in community. And if your friends, if your community are giving you good advice, it's usually a good idea to listen to it. Especially if multiple people, if multiple streams of people are saying the same thing. That's a good indicator of wisdom. And I've just seen, I just have to say this because I've seen too many situations where people have made bad choices for themselves and they didn't talk to anybody. Discern in community. Before you make any significant changes in your calling, in your station in life, where you live, can I encourage you, please, talk to your community group, talk to your friends, talk to people you trust and get the wisdom of the church and I guarantee you, you won't regret it. You just won't regret it. We don't self-determine our calling. We discern our calling in community. So utilize the wisdom of the church. So John the Baptist, he says, I can only receive what's given from heaven. The second thing he says is, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. John received his calling, therefore he knew who he wasn't. He knew what he wasn't called to do. I am not the Messiah. Oh, how freeing that should be for all of us. I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Savior of the world. I can't fix everything. I can't fix people. I can't save anyone. And I think it's especially important for religious leaders like myself to know this and to to even say this publicly like John the Baptist did. Friends, I'm not the Messiah. I'm your pastor, but I am not the Messiah. I can't save you. I can't save this church. I can't do it all. I cannot meet your every need and expectation. I can't respond perfectly to everyone and everything, although I wish I could. I can't say everything so perfectly so that I address every single new that you might have as you sit here listening to me. I am not gifted in every area. I am a fallible human being with so many weaknesses. I can't play all the parts myself. I can't be the hands, the feet, and the mouth. I can't be the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher all at the same time. Also, I don't, I'm not a professional counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained in those areas. And what really bothers me is that I can't be in multiple places at once. That really bothers me. I wish I could do that. But I can. I can play the role that God has gifted me and given me to do within this body. I can do all of that within my very human limitations. And friends, we have to embrace our weaknesses. We have to embrace our limitations so that we can live fully into the calling that God has for us. We have to embrace the idea, I am not the Messiah. I am not a Messiah. And at the same time, the second half of the sentence is maybe even more important than the first. I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. 
I am not the Messiah, but I am his messenger. I'm not the Savior, but I point people to him. I am not the Lord, but I am his follower. I am not the Son of God, but I am his son. I am not the king, but I am an ambassador to the king. I am not the redeemer, but I am redeemed. There is so much that we are not, but there is so much that we are in Christ. Amen? That's precisely why we are sent. We may may not be able to save the world, but we know somebody who can. We know somebody who can. So we are sent, we are missional, we are missionary people to tell everyone everywhere that there is a Messiah. There is a Savior of this this universe. And his name is Jesus. The name above all names. So whatever calling God has on your life, remember who you are not and remember who you are. You are not the Messiah, but you are sent ahead of him. You do have a role to play. You do have a mission. You do have a calling. Remember both. The third thing that John the Baptist says is, he essentially says, I am, I'm the best man preparing the wedding for the groom. This is an analogy John, John gives. He says this in verse 29, the, the, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it is now complete. See, in those days, the, the, the friend who attends the groom was actually a, a very important position. Uh, some scholars uh, um, compare it to our modern best man, um, though this position would have had much more responsibility. Financial contribution, arranging details. They needed to make sure that everything went perfectly. They were the logistical operator for the wedding. Everyone needs to be where they're supposed to be. This was the best man's job. And so John says, this is my identity. I am the friend who's attending the groom, that is Christ. John's job was to prepare the people, prepare everything so that the people of God could embrace the groom, Jesus Christ. So the scholar Edward Klink says, ironically then, the concern the disciples of John had for their teacher was entirely misplaced. It would be like a bride who was concerned that the best man of the bridegroom was not getting any attention at the wedding. I mean, can you imagine complaining about that? That's what they're doing. He says, no, the whole point of my calling was not to bring attention to myself, but to lead people to Christ. My whole point is, yes, that you would leave me and follow him. That's what this baptism of repentance was all about, to prepare you to embrace Christ. And now that that's happening, my joy is complete. That was my role. That was my calling. And while John the Baptist certainly had a unique role in salvation history, we also have a similar calling to his. We, our job, is not to have people follow us, like us, or give us a Our job is to point people to Jesus Christ so that they embrace him as the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. Our job is to point people to him and lead people to him. And that's where our joy is complete. When we do that, we will experience joy because we're fulfilling the calling on our lives. And finally, the last thing that John the Baptist says for a healthy sense of calling, he says, he must become greater, I must become less. John the Baptist knows. Now he must fade to the background. 
Jesus needs to be greater, I must become less. And this is a good motto for us. I don't live to bring glory to myself, to point people to myself, to uh, win the approval or applause of men. No, my goal is to make Jesus greater, to make him more famous, to make his name more honored, to make his name more glorified, to see more people surrender to him as Lord. And why must Jesus be greater? Well, it says really three things in our text. Because he's above all, because he speaks the very words of God, and because he is the one who can only bring eternal life when we all face the reality of death. Verse 31 says, The one who comes from above is above all. Is above all. He is from heaven. Christ is from heaven. We are from below. So we must bow down to him. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, He testifies to what he has seen and heard. Verse 33, Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. He must become greater. He is the one who speaks the very words of God. Heaven has come down. The truth of God has come down into our existence and we must bow down. And finally, he, he he's must become greater because he brings eternal life. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. That word means God's judgment against sin is not taken care of because they have not accepted the forgiveness for their sins that comes through Christ. Jesus is the hinge upon which the eternal destiny of us all rests. That's how great he is. That's how, could anything be more significant than that in all of this universe? I can't think of anything that would be more significant than that. That's how central Jesus Christ is to our existence. No one is greater. No one is higher. No one is above him. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead and the kingdom will have no end. That is why he must become greater. I must who am I in comparison to him? He's so much greater. Therefore, he must become greater. I must become less. Now, friend, I can't tell you the specific calling that God has on your life. That's your job to discern in community. But I can tell you four things from John the Baptist that will guide you. That I receive my calling. Receive my calling. Gift. You have to have this in your identity that not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. I have a role. I have a mission. I am the one pointing people to the groom. My mission involves pointing people to Jesus. My calling involves doing that. So how can I do that with the, with the ways that God has gifted me to contribute? And finally, it's all about him. He must become greater. I must become less. And my prayer with this sermon and my prayer for you as your pastor is that I could just be like my seventh grade basketball coach. If I could just help you, help you see in community to discern your calling. What does God want you to do right now in this season? And if we could do that and together as a team, we could point people to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the Savior of the world we would experience joy and God would be glorified.
That's my prayer.